0: And what happens is that you build yourself up and you can kind of get right there with those talented guys that haven't done a whole lot and and being okay with that. Like I, I knew during my time at UCLA, I gave it everything I could. And there's some peace of mind in that, which of course coach Wooden talked about. I think you can sprinkle in values, sprinkle in um, mental processes and, and the verbiage that you use from a, a mindset perspective within that.
1: Hello, my name is Aaron Wexler, and welcome to another episode of Within the Game. Let's go. Within the Game is all about how to treat your craft and your life like a game so you can stay inspired, have more fun, and ultimately find fulfillment both in and out of your game. And thank you to the listeners and fans of the show. If you'd like to support the show, a great way to do that is to grab a copy of my book, The Inspired Athlete, as well as to share this episode with anyone you think would benefit from it. Also, if you could give the channel a like and a subscribe, all those things really do help out. And also please follow and support my guests. And today's guest is the one and only John Spraw. John Spraw is head men's volleyball coach for the United States national team who just qualified for the 2024 Olympics. And he's also the coach for UCLA who just won the NCAA championship this year. Coach Spraw has won a total of nine national championships and was the first individual to win an NCAA men's volleyball championship as a head coach, an assistant coach, and as a player. He was also one of my assistant coaches when I was a player at UCLA. Please follow him at Coach Spraw on Instagram and check out his website, johnspraw.com. I hope you enjoy the show. Again, Coach, I appreciate you. And, you know, I like to start these episodes with the first thing, which is this idea of inspired living. What does that mean to you?
0: Uh, Inspired living to me is is gratitude first. I just think inspired is just, uh, I I think about it a lot. I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's new for me, but I do think as I've gotten older, you start to understand how special these moments are and that they just don't happen all the time like they do. And so you have a deeper appreciation for the time and experiences that you have. I think being a dad has probably highlighted that for me. I just think that experience has been really, really special for me uh, as an older dad and uh, being a part of that journey. And and so I think that's the gratitude jumps out to me as first. The second one is I I like to continue learning like it's a a big part of, of me. I think that has slowed a little bit from my typical path, which was reading. I used to just read a ton, and then I had kids, and then all I was trying to do was find some time to sleep, and so uh, I actually just picked up a book and started reading it again for the first time in a long time. But of course, the learning has happened in other ways: it's learning about being a dad, and and of course, learning in, in the in the arena, being on the court with the guys, and continuing to improve my craft there. So. Uh, I do think for me, it's continuing to find new ways to just engage in in a broader range of of areas too. Like I like reading about a lot of different things, so it's not it's just always sports.
1: Yeah, man, I love to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. And you know, me personally, you know, when I was a player at UCLA, like it was really hard for me to find that inspiration. I, I felt a lot of frustration most yeah. of the time. You know, there's always someone better, um, yeah. and that happens a lot in sports, but specifically at UCLA, you know, um, and you know, I, I just appreciate you. I wanted to say this on the show that you just kind of exuded this, like like this, this joy for your craft as a coach. And I think that really helped me to see that because not all coaches do that. You know, I, I think joy is such a big part of inspired living or inspiration or, you know, even motivation or leadership, which we'll get into. But could you just speak on joy for a minute? Like, where does that come from? And how do you let that out like you do?
0: Well, I think you have to, and I was thinking as you were talking about the context here at UCLA and how competitive it is, and I think for me, probably what you also saw is that I'm I'm interested in relationships. Like mm-hmm. I, I find value in that, and so I think when there's a connection there, there's there's joy there, and and I think that's important. And I think my role as the assistant back then, I was around more, and I think the assistants have a very important role. Even now, like I obviously. I'm still interested in relationships. I'm still the same person you knew. But I I bet if you ask some of our guys, there's a natural distance between the head coach and the decisions he has to make about positions and playing time and who makes what rosters and, and that relationship component. So you have to be pretty intentional about um, building that, making sure there's time for that. It's it, There's some challenges there we may get into later in the conversation about being a head coach these days. Yeah. Um. So there's the relationship component, and then I just think there's energy, right? I mean, I, we all know energy is contagious. Uh, there's plenty of research on that. So I, I think I'm in general a pretty positive guy. I think we espouse our athletes to be present. I'm pretty present. I don't really ruminate too much on mistakes I've made in the past. I think we all have a loss or a decision that we can't ever really forget. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, as athletes, that's a risk. But I do think I, I have a tendency to be pretty present. I'm pretty positive a high percentage of the time. I'm not really down a whole lot. And then I I do have a period of time where I get frustrated with things and there's an anger component. But I bet if you had to break it down, it's like 80% positive and 5% down and 10%, you know, you know, upset because somebody's not doing something on a court and I I let them have it for a second. Um, But there's moments like that for sure. So uh, I think that, so it's, it's a being really into relationships and then just having great energy,
1: man. I, I just love that and you know I want to make this really relatable to not just you know champions and people who are used to winning like yourself you know can you talk to the to the beat court players for a second like I, yeah. that's what I was right yeah and 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 you know talk to them in a context of um this idea of inspiration and and before you do I want to give you some context right because the context that I started with this show and like where i've I've kind of taken my coaching career and my leadership career is, is to focus on that because of the pyramid of success but that John Wooden created, which is such a big part of UCLA and and Mm -hmm. UCLA brand. I looked at that pyramid every day and uh, the competitive greatness at the top. Mm -hmm. I thought that was close to the top, but I thought the inspired living was like, if we could go for that, that includes competitive greatness. Could could you frame that and talk to the person that might be uninspired or frustrated or even on the verge of quitting?
0: Yeah, I think it's really understanding value that's where I wanted to start. We can talk about the pyramid in a second, because yeah. I've got a lot of thoughts on the pyramid, okay. especially as okay. a Bruin and contemporary uh, beliefs on on the pyramid and my thoughts there. I've got a few. It's interesting. I had a conversation with one of our athletes about it just yesterday, who's in the, the master's degree in, in leadership here at UCLA, and they have a class on wooden, and we were talking about it. But um, the value of an athlete, I think, is what really gets lost, particularly when you're on the, the B side when And I was a B-side guy, too, for four of my five years. So I think you just don't – it's natural. I, you try to, to qualify the amount of time you have as a head coach. And that is the realities are I'm going to spend a little bit more time with the first team than the second team. I'm going to spend a little bit more time with the setter than the outside hitters. And you know, I don't spend that much time talking to liberos because there's less technical stuff going on. Right? There's just almost like a hierarchy of communication. And I think that's really, really hard. And so I think the challenge is twofold. One is for the athletes that are on the B side to understand the value that they bring. I think they have to understand who they are and how they build their value to the team. That Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. How do you build those? How do you focus on the strengths versus the weaknesses? Of course, everyone's working on getting better, but really understand who you are and build that value. And second for us coaches is to understand the importance of communicating that to the second team guys, to the role players. I don't think I've been spectacular at that over the course of the years. I think I'm continuously in environments, maybe we all are, certainly true on the national team, where you don't have very much time. You're really restricted in time. And when you're restricted in time, my mind immediately goes to efficiencies. How am I using my time? What are the most important things to winning and losing? How do I build those things into my practice plan? And a lot of times it's about making decisions. I'm going to spend 80% with my starting setter and I'm going to have to narrow down what my starters are because offensive yeah. connection is so important. The next thing you know, you realize you haven't had all these meetings you need to have. And so I think for me, that's been a big challenge in terms of like understanding and building value. And, and I, I truly believe that, like I, I believe in the B side or right? I believe in the value of the B side. Yeah, uh, I really know how much of a difference they make in teams and how they impact winning and the energy we were talking about and the just the whole team chemistry and the culture. I mean, the, the truth is, is culture has a lot to do with the B side. And so um, I, I understand that. But I also understand the challenges of being a coach and the time demands and how we utilize that and prioritize that to make sure that that value is there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And just for those listening who might not be familiar with that term B-side, basically that means the non-starters, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else who's, who's actually a big part of, of championship teams, right? Like you just said, you know, the, the, the role, the, the players that come in and, and grind, but not might not be starting, but, you know, are, are really putting a piece to their heart and soul. I want you to um, describe this term inspired athlete. Because for me, that's the athlete I always wanted to be that I, I, looking back, I was like, I never could like really tap into the energy of that. Could you talk about what that energy means to you?
0: To me, it's about somebody who um, is completely committed and bought into being their very best. Okay. That's, that's what I would think. And I, I wrote some notes about this yesterday, just yesterday, I drew it up on the board because what you have, I don't know if you've if you felt this in your experiences, you have some very, very talented players that come in and because of their talent, they haven't been pushed to develop certain aspects of what we would call an inspired athlete. They haven't and it's not malicious. This is somebody that it's it's I think how they've been pushed um, or not pushed uh, and how how that's forced them or not forced them to really understand what's required to be your very, very best. So if you have a very incredibly talented athlete and he comes in and he's six foot eight and he's jumping 40 inches and he's been able to go over the block his whole life. um, He maybe didn't necessarily develop a real strong sense of work ethic because being talented was enough. He didn't establish a lot of hitting range because he was going to be able to go over the block, right? He didn't develop a recycle shot because he didn't need it. (laughs) So, so I think there's that. Okay, what has pushed this athlete to become their very best? And then you have those guys, probably a lot like you and I, who weren't very good, okay, or good <laughs> enough, right? And we we were like, okay. I mean, I remember even before I got to UCLA, I, I looked at the media guide, and everybody was six foot five, six six foot six, two hundred pounds, and I was a, a <laughs> buck seventy five, and I was like, uh oh, you know, like I'm not going to be six seven, six eight, and be taller than everyone else. I had to be faster and stronger. I I, had, I was totally matched up, and I hit the weight room the summer before I came to UCLA and that strength and the commitment to strength and speed was something I always brought with me. Cause I knew it was a differentiator. Yeah. And I think you have to strive to figure out those differentiators. And so for me, I, I knew right. You and I had to give it all, like we had to be all in, we had to maximize our potential in order just to survive. And what happens is that you build yourself up and you can kind of get right there with those talented guys that haven't done a whole lot, haven't had to hit the weight room. Sometimes they're not in the weight room. Back in the day when you were you and I were at UCLA, we didn't have to go to the weight room. Now you got team lifting times and a, and a few of these things, so you have to really pay attention to this because there's, there's less choices. And it's maybe harder for a coach to see right where an athlete is with their intrinsic motivation. So mm. I, I would say that the inspired athlete is somebody who understands that. And where you really see some special athletes is the ones that have that, that talent, whatever it is that 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 they were born with, or maybe they, they're sometimes the environment that they're raised in. You see a lot of great players that are coming out of families where their dad's the coach, you know, where yeah, they've been around right. it their whole life. Like I came to volleyball when I was 16. Like I didn't have that ball control. I didn't have that understanding of the game. And so I think you see those guys that come in with either – an environmental advantage or a physical advantage, and then if they've got it, like they they understand what they need to do to become their very best, they have an, an understanding of of what it takes to become a master of their craft. That's when you see guys that are like generational Olympians, yeah. the very best, and and if those guys have that plus the work ethic, there's nothing you and I can do about it. They're going to beat us out. <laughs> <You're right>. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I I think that that's and that's okay. I think. That's a, an understanding, a sense of self and who we are and and being okay with that. Like I, I knew during my time at UCLA, I, I gave it everything I could. And there's some peace of mind in that, which of course, Coach Wooden talked about.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. I, I think everyone can tap into the energy, even if you're not like, even if people don't consider themselves an athlete. I think the energy of the inspired athlete is still inside them. That's I wrote this book about it because I think the in, the energy of the inspired athlete wants to breathe, move. And the next level is to compete and to be a master of the craft and let's get into that because I think the pursuit of mastery is kind of you know synonymous with the brand of UCLA, right? right. It's kind of one of the reasons why I really wanted to go there. I wanted to be around that energy. Right. There's this focus when you walk around campus and be around people like yourself and Karch and, and Sk- Coach Skates and um, Mike Seeley. I mean, you know, just and, and all these other sports at UCLA, there's this focused pursuit of mastery. Mm-hmm. I want you to talk about that to make it relatable to someone who might be like, what does that mean? You know, can you talk about yeah. that? What is the pursuit of mastery?
0: Uh, it's, it's the pursuit of your personal best which of course is another wooden reference. I think yeah. what I think I really appreciate about wooden and, and we uh, initially address this and how I, I think about this a lot. I, as you build value statements, value phrases, understand the focus from a cultural perspective of what's important to your program. There probably is a limit to, to how many things you can talk about. And what's interesting <laughs> about, you know, the best yeah. ones I've ever had are, are maybe two, maybe three. Um, wooden's got 15. I, he's got 15 and I call it the grout because he's got some more in the grout. so it's 15 plus the grout. yeah and and so that's a lot. So a lot. I've always I've always kind of wondered from a contemporary perspective, what do you pull? What's important to you? there's there's some intrinsic uh, I use that word again, but what's important to Aaron Wexler? What's important to yeah. John what's there's there's some things there that are, are very, very important. And so understanding that, I think is is really important. Um, and so, I mean, you keep talking about the inspired athlete and how does that relate? You know, I I think it's, I think that's it. I think it's understanding who you are and and the difference you want to make and understanding if you are understanding who you are and okay with what you're not. I I see that a lot these days, right? There's a lot of people who are not very happy with what they're not. And uh, I think that's not everyone's going to be everything and that's Okay. You got to be your very best and and pursue your very best. Uh, So getting to your question about mastery. So mastery is understanding that it's about your personal best and that you're not necessarily competing against somebody. You're competing against the best version of yourself. I think Wooden, getting back to the value of Wooden and why he's so, I think, uniquely special is I think he was an innovator. I think he was, I don't know what happened in the forties and the fifties and how they were talking about sport, but in my Experience and understanding, and my reading. I think he was an innovator of what we now call process orientation. Yes, right. He was. Yeah. He was the guy that really made it uh, relevant. And I think there's constant challenges to that that um, idea, that concept, because I think
1: there's just so much results orientation now. Hey everyone, thanks so much for being a fan of the show. I really appreciate your support. And if you'd like to further support the podcast, please grab a copy of my book, The Inspired Athlete. Uh, The Inspired Athlete is all about my personal growth journey, my athletic journey, my spiritual journey, all combined into one. And really, the idea is that um, the energy of the inspired athlete is within us all, and it's up to us to evoke that. And uh, whether you consider yourself an athlete or a competitor or not, It's my belief that the energy of the inspired athlete is within us. Even if you just decide to take a deep breath and just move your body, that's the inspired athlete. So it would mean a lot if you could help support the book project as well as the podcast by grabbing a copy. uh, Links to the Amazon uh, paperback version as well as the Audible um, audiobook version are listed below in the description. Thank you very much for your support. Stay inspired, y'all. Yeah. And And judgment. judgment. You oh, know? Well, yeah. Well, we can judgment on your results, oh, right? Yeah, oh, you know, and and I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, that you got me fired up because I was like, yeah, because that that was my issue as a player. There, I was yeah. always afraid of the judgment. Yeah. You know, Dr. Michael Gervais talks about he just released a book about fopo, the fear of other people's opinions. And I think for an athlete, especially for like the B side athlete, the guy who's not in the limelight, that's so difficult to overcome the fopo. You know, and for someone like you, who's always in the spotlight now going to into this Olympic run, you're going to be on that world stage. How do you how do you not care about what other people think and focus on what you got to do? Yeah,
0: I was actually you were talking about the B side guys and they're worried about the judgment and the and the expectations of the coaching staff. And then the the starters are worried about their their Instagram followers and the negative (laughs) comments, you know, and the coaches. I mean, this is a story from Rio. And remember in Rio, we started off. Oh, two. And I don't I wasn't paying attention to any social media. Um, I was so locked in. And my sister called me and she goes, Hey, are you reading the comments on the USA Volleyball Facebook page? And I go, No, why? And she goes, Well, that's real good, because they are crushing you. <laughs> and I was like, great, I, I think I'll avoid it. You know, of course, right. we were able to turn around and have a nice result. And that's the thing. It's like, everybody that's crushing you out there has no idea what's actually going on. Right? They have no idea. And they don't have the experience you do. And, and ultimately it's never going to be perfect. I, I don't know. I just, it's hard. Listen, receiving criticism, living up to other people's expectations. It's, it's hard. It's hard. You just have to understand who you need to listen to. What is, what is your family? You know what? And that can be not just your relatives, but like your crew, right? Yeah. And, and who's going to give you critical feedback that you respect because they understand who you are, your context the the real story behind the scenes and help guide you on the, on the proper path. I think everybody needs that. Uh, we're not alone in this, but you also can't listen to the masses because I don't think they really know everything that they're not in the room. And what's going on in the room is is never. It's really hard to fully describe because mm. it's so complex. You have individual personalities. You have individual perspectives and experiences. And so you got to be in the room. I tell you, when we had uh, the poor result in Tokyo, man, the people that called that I really appreciated because they've been in the room and they know is like Hugh McCutcheon, Doug Beal, Marv Dunphy. Like these guys called me and they were like, hey, I'm with you because they've been in the room and they know the complexity and they knew there was something else going on. They didn't know what, but they knew there was other things going on and they understood And I think they understand good process. So uh, I think in terms of judgment, what is your process? What is our process? Do do we do a good job of that process and judging that? Are are we on the quest for mastery? And the answer is yes, I think. Um, Is it perfect? Are we going to make mistakes? For sure. Um, The the other point, I I just, if you don't mind me. Yeah, please. please. um, The mastery thing is interesting too, because I think you're competing against yourself, but then there's also how do you compete against others? I, mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting topic and I don't have the answer to it. So I'm throwing this out <laughs> to you for, for yep. future dialogue or, but I was always really good when it was, I looked across the net and I was like, Oh, I got to take that guy down. Like when we would do these drills where it'd be like this middle gets set, this middle gets set. You each get 10. I would turn it up.
1: Head up drills. Yeah. I, yeah.
0: And I, yeah. and I, I was really good then because I was external. I wasn't beating myself. I, I was never got really beat myself up too much, which is a huge topic in sports psychology and performance psychology but it is very external we talk about being external i think that is a powerful competitive tool and i think some at some point i'd like to learn more about that balance because you do have some athletes that are very external and very competitive across the net and those sometimes those are your best competitors and then you have some other guys that are totally internal mastery guys and i know andrew becker would tell me that's the best kind we need to focus on that we need to build that and that's probably right I just would like to learn more about those like two paths, whether they're divergent or not, I don't know, but uh, maybe they're complementary in different times. I'd like to study that a little bit more. I think
1: it's super fascinating, right? Like I'm going to beat you, but I'm also going to stay focused on being the best version of myself and that balance. Right. I think that's a great segue to what I want to ask you about next, which is this idea of champion mindset versus winning mindset. What's the difference?
0: Uh, i think it's understanding the controllables that's mm. what jumps out to me um whether you win or you lose um it, whether you win a championship okay is there's a lot of things that can go into that yeah and so and some of it, they they always say winning championships requires a little bit of luck and I, I think that's there's probably some truth to that I mean i, I as coaches and all of us who are athletes that try so hard to like do every little thing that we can, it's hard to like give up that level of control. But I think there's probably, we need some breaks along the way. Yeah, it's probably true. Usually it breaks the other way, right? It's an injury or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, maybe being a champion isn't always controllable. What you can control is, are you building yourself up to be a winner and what is that and focusing on that? What is, and to me, that is mindset training. It is about and building a culture that's really built around that. And of course, it starts with work ethic and those types of things. It, it's It really starts with talent. You gotta you have to have talent. I don't think you're you're being genuine when you're saying, hey, you, you have to have some physical talent. You have to have guys that are going to jump high and hit the ball hard in our sport. And I think there's an application across all sports that are different. But if you're going to, you got to have talent and you got to have work ethic. And then when you get a hardworking group of talented guys together, you can get yourself into the top five, but who wins it has a lot to do with mental side of the game,
1: how you handle those moments. Man, Uh, I I love, I love that. Could, Could you make that a little more relatable to someone who, who might be listening to this or watching and doesn't play sports? Could they be a winner and a champion too? Oh my gosh. Yes.
0: Listen, first of all, I think a lot of people are really, um, What's the opposite of a growth mindset? Uh, fixed. Fixed. Thank you. So a lot of people are fixed, right? They, oh, you are this. This guy is that. This girl is that. And I just, the, the story I always tell is about uh, my one of my opposites at, during my Irvine years. And everybody would tell me he's, he's never going to do it. He's mental. You know, I had coaches tell me this and I'd be like, God, that is so like, I just knew the guy. I knew he was dedicated, and I, I would sit in the office and talk about different thought processes. How do you? This happened. What did you say to yourself? Have you thought about saying it like this? And he was always open minded to that, which is a very important part of coachability. But you know, he he really was interested in learning that process. Dove into that process and was MVP of the Final Four when we won it in 2007. You know, and it's just like you can teach people how to win. I'm convinced of it. Now, there's some people that are have a lot of other off-court issues and other things they need to deal with and maybe can't get there. They got to handle that stuff first, for sure. But if you have a group of people and some, one person is somebody, everyone says, oh, they have it and this guy doesn't. That's I think that's total baloney. Yeah. And so I think you can teach about what it is to be a winning mindset. So that's first. But I think to anybody, when you get into it, I think we tell our kids, you can be anything you want to be. I think you know, I don't know. I, I I think there we all have experiences and uh, opportunities, and those things can be very random, which is another aspect of my own gratitude is just recognizing how random it is. it's just like, oh my gosh, I, this is this is crazy. So we all have to be grateful for what we have. i I had a body of experience that allowed me to develop leadership skills at an early age. I just did. I had parents that nurtured that. Uh, I was involved in a lot of activities that nurtured that. I had a lot of public speaking opportunities when I was young, like, oh, like it, it, listen, man, all those are random. Those are no one like scripted that out, but I just was able to get into a position where I feel comfortable having these conversations now. I've been doing it for a while. like its just mm. it's random, man. So listen, can your my daughters do anything? I mean, maybe I don't know. Uh, I would say no. I'd say there's some things that they're going to be good at and other things that they won't and understand what those are and go do that. So, okay, so accept that. But once you understand your strengths and then you want to go have a winning mindset, well, that's, everybody can access that. That is understanding how to interact with people in a positive way. That is understanding how to have, you know, good emotional intelligence with the people you work with. It's about being a great teammate. Yeah. It's a and being a great teammate can happen in any context, not just on the on the court or on the field. It's about being a great partner in a relationship. Right. Mm. I think, um, and so much of that is understanding who they are and how you you work with them, how you accept them. Yeah. Um, I think it's about everybody getting into um a moment and worrying about external expectations, worrying about how to be figuring out how to be present. Okay. How to how to separate out some of the emotions that come into so many interactions that occur in the workplace and in family life. So a a winning mindset isn't that different on the court or in the rest of the world. A winning mindset is understand how to be present, how to be good in this moment. There are strategies for how you do that. There's a dialogue that you need to implement in order to teach our our young men here at UCLA, my daughters at home. right? And so I think that there's that's to me a winning mindset. so I, I don't know if I, I went into enough detail if I was going to teach a class, we would probably get get into it a little bit more. but I, I do think to to your question, yes, anybody on and off the court can access a winning mindset. and if you have a winning mindset, you increase the probabilities that you can be a champion. You can't always guarantee it but you what you're in the you're in the probability business. that's what we all are in. Hmm. and all you're trying to do is increase the probabilities. That you can get into that moment, handle that moment, and increase the odds that you're going to win.
1: So good, coach. So good. You know, it it sparks in me when you're talking like this. This idea of positive self-talk. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn that when I was at UCLA. It took me a while. And when I went back to volunteer, um, we really talked about that with Sue Sue Inquist, coach right, Sue right. Inquist, and and yeah. she really taught me about this uh, this idea of strong voice and weak voice. I was hoping you could get into that. How, how do you practice it yourself, this idea of positive self-talk? And then how do you teach it?
0: Uh, I think you got to dive into some specifics about what you're saying in those moments. You actually have to be with an athlete, say, hey, in this moment, what were you thinking? What were you saying to yourself? How do you change that? How do you address that? And it's not easy. I mean, a lot of these are, are refined over years and you have to teach the why behind it, you know, okay, this is what's Mm. happening. And here's how this is impacting your energy. And this energy is, is impacting your teammates. Here's how you're a great teammate. Maybe give some, um, a frame of reference for what it is. We want it to look like. This is what it should look like. This is what it should sound like. This is what it should look like.
1: Um, yeah. Sorry. Can you give an example? What, well, okay. It was?
0: Okay. So um, just a, so say somebody makes a hitting error, misses a serve, whatever. Yeah. And they're just like, oh my gosh, I suck. Yeah. Um, uh, that was a terrible toss. Right. Or so there's just so many different ways. I mean, the inner game of tennis talks about how you, you know, what's the, what's, how do you frame things? Did it, right. was it a terrible toss or was it just a little bit low? right? Like Mm -hmm. how you frame that. So this is, again, self-talk. And then, okay. So, and then you're beating yourself up. So you're, you're negative. Okay. Now you're going left brain instead of right. Your ability to adapt is low. So these, here's all the reasons, but, and then you look bad. So your teammates are over there. Oh, oh, Johnny, you're okay. You're okay. So now they're trying to give you energy. That's absorbing energy from them. So your negative energy is is affecting the team and then the opponents are over there and they're looking at you and they're like i got johnny right. I i got johnny he's down right. and so i just think it's it's what you're saying how it looks there's a there's a whole process there that needs to be addressed and listen there's rampant perfectionism these days in a, in a high performance environment you're going to have some of that like people are used to winning they want to win the, the motive isn't bad they want to do well It's how they respond in those moments. And some of those are very ingrained with personalities and and experiences. I think about my experience and how I got out of that. I I just, and it was random, man. I just was good in volleyball and I was on a team where I knew I was going to get the ball. And for whatever reason, I remember it. Like even in like the CIF finals, I remember thinking, give me to the front row because I was in the back row and I need, it was the fifth set. I need, and I knew I said, just give me the front row. We'll win this thing. Like, I literally remember telling myself that. No one right. told me to do that, right. but there's probably some dude that's in the back row that had a couple errors beforehand. And he's like, Oh, let's hope we finish this before I get to the front row. Now, what's the difference between him and I probably nothing. He might be more talented than I was. I just, for whatever reason, stumbled upon a proper path that worked for me and reinforced that path. And I learned from that. The other guy just hasn't had that experience yet or the instruction.
1: And is that teachable? Is that something you can learn? A hundred percent. Yes. Thank you to new sponsor of the show stretch life located in Manhattan beach, California stretch life offers assisted stretching for anyone who wants to enhance their flexibility practice. And if you're like me, muscle tightness is something I deal with on a daily basis, whether I'm in the gym training or out on the beach, playing beach volleyball, or even sitting here doing this podcast podcast, um, it's it's a challenge to make time for the daily stretch routine. And so I've been working with Amir over the last couple months over at Stretch Life, and um, I can tell a big difference in the way I feel. I have more range of motion. I have more energy, more muscle control, and just overall less pain. Uh, stretch Life is offering within-the-game listeners 50% off your first session. Just mention within-the-game when you book online or, or when you call in for the discount. And also, if you do not have access to the Stretch Life Studio, but you still want to learn more about how to enhance your flexibility practice, Amir is offering a free 20-minute phone call um, where he can share specific stretches and other specific tools that can help you. So visit StretchLife.com, that's stretchlife spelled with a Y, to book your first session and uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Wow. Uh, I'm a big proponent of be, you know, having positive self-talk and catching negative self-talk when it's there and yeah. immediately transferring it to positive, you yeah. know, like you just said about the toss. Well, is it just, can I make a quick adjustment? I think champions do quick adjustments and less like analytical thinking. It's more critical thinking. It's like, Oh, a little quick thing here right. and there. And I, I think right. that's really important to learn. I, I wish I learned that when I was, when I was younger. and And hopefully that's part of the process. What we're doing now, we're, we're really trying to share this wisdom so that, you know, if, if you're an athlete out there listening to this or a coach or a parent, you know, you can start to, you know, implement some of these tools at a younger age so that as people grow, they have these tools. Like positive self-talk is a great tool, you know, um, let's let's jump into inspired leadership, um, coach, because like I told you before, I always thought you were one of the best coaches I've ever had because I felt that you were an inspired leader. I didn't even know what that was back then. Now now that I know what that is, I want to ask you what you think that is. What what do you think an inspired leader really is?
0: Uh gosh, that's a good question. Um, what is an inspired leader? Somebody that really I, I come back to energy. I, I think it's hard to separate out the word inspired without an energy component. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I like the energy. Like I know my teams are better when I have energy uh, Bex Dr. Andrea Becker, who I've worked with for a long time on the sports psych side. I think she's phenomenal. She always reminds me to talk forward, talk forward, talk about what we're doing, what we're doing, what we're doing. And there's moments when I'm locked in and I'm really good at that. There's other times just like in athletic and physical performance. Sometimes the coaching performance can vary too. And there's other times when I'm not as locked in and, and talking forward. So she's always reminding me about that. I think there's body language components for leadership too. Early on in my coaching career, um, I, I something would happen, and I'd be rubbing my head, you know. And now <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, two rotations from now, or this guy just hit two errors. Who's on the bench? What's the match that? I mean, it could be nothing related to actually what just happened, but it would, I'd be deep in thought, and she'd be like, stop rubbing your head, stop rubbing your head. And I'd be, oh, okay. So there's body language components to being an inspired leader. There's there's energy components to being an inspired leader. There's, But I think really probably what it comes down to to, to be an inspired leader is – that we really, really want the best for those whom we lead. Right. And I, I know service leadership is is really, I think, a critical component to inspired leadership. I think it's really about wanting the best for yeah. your athletes. That's it's interesting. I remember the first time I was at an international event and we won and, and the coaches didn't get a medal. And I was like, ah, that sucks. I like medals, you know? And now Lex, I don't even care. People will say, okay, where, where's your bronze from?" real? No, the coaches didn't get them. Yeah, really? No, I got, we got our national championship rings last week. We had a nice presentation. Families were all there, outstanding. Um, it's in the box. And I, I brought it home. My wife, Michelle, goes, have you seen it yet? And I, well, I've seen it. She goes, have you opened yours up yet? And I was like, no, <laughs> no. She goes, are you going to open it up? And I was like, Ah, uh, you, sure, you know, like it was wex I'm telling you straight up wasn't even on my radar. Wow. There's a million other things that I was thinking about, but that wasn't it. And I, you know what I like? I like how that moment bonded our guys. I like right. the, how much that means to them, that they were the team after 20 years or whatever it was, you know, that they were the ones that could bring it back, that yeah. they were able to get number 20. Like those guys earned that they really did. And I can tell that that really, it was very meaningful for them. It's very meaningful for the program. It's very meaningful for the alumni. And that's the joy I get out of it, right? I, I don't need a ring. I don't need a medal. I just find so much joy. Even looking at the photos, like there's one, I'm in my assistant coach's office. Like there's some photos around here from that moment, just seeing the joy on their faces. That's, that's what I need. And so I think it really is about finding joy in other people's joy is probably the inspired leader
1: let's go coach. I love is that, that. Good. All right. No, that's amazing, man. And hey. and, and I, I had a note on that because this is what I believe it is. And everything you just said, like, Hey man, you know, thank you for sharing that. I, my note was that inspired leadership is the enthusiastic <laughs> transfer of belief.
0: Oh, I like that. That's good.
1: Right. Yeah. It, like you, you got the energy and the enthusiasm, right. And you yeah. you believe in your team. You believe in your guys. You believe yeah. in your personnel. Can you transfer that belief? I think to me that is inspired leadership.
0: I like I that. That's a good definition, Lex. Good work.
1: Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I mean, and it's not easy. And, and you know, the, the, there's a whole other part of this conversation, which we may or may not get into. Maybe right now is a good time for it, which is like the spiritual component of ins, being inspired, right? Because like being an inspired leader, that, that's not easy necessarily to do every day all the time. We're human beings. We I have a whole section on EQ, right? Emotional intelligence. And mm. like it's it's important to be in a, in a in a steady emotional state as a leader before you transfer that belief. Oh 100%. You, know? um, yeah. you were always so even keeled. Yeah. Ever ever since I I remember you on the on the on the B court in the, in in the wooden center, you know, yeah. like showing us stuff. You never really got upset, even when I got in trouble, which I, we, we were joking about. <laughs> you, you never really um got too high, too low emotionally. You were just always so even keeled. I think being even keeled is a big part of this picture. And it's a big part of like when you, okay. So like when you go to work in the morning, before you go to work, you kind of have to center yourself. Mm-hmm. And this is not just for you or me, this is for all of us, right? We have to like center ourselves first, and then go do our work, mm, right. right? I was hoping you could talk about like, what does that mean? Like, how do you send your, how do you get right with yourself first? It could be mm. spiritually, it could be like through religion. It could be like little meditation, whatever that is. You 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 may not even know that you do that. I'm just telling you that I think that you do that because you show up with mm-hmm. the best version of yourself in this even keeled way. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that resonate with you?
0: No, oh, certainly, I, I am even keeled. Like I remember, ta- I remember <laughs> yeah. talking with Sealy and he, he, he had this appearance of being even keeled, but he always talked about it like uh on a duck, on a water, you know, like sometimes he was underneath <laughs> just kicking away and he, we were talking about that. And I, I think the truth is for me, I, I'm pretty, what you see is actually what is there. Like I'm, I've had this ability to compartmentalize, like to observe it almost like external to my own experience. Like, mm. okay. Th- what, what just happened right there? A guy hit the ball out of out of bounds. Okay, what do I need to do next? Like I, I actually, for whatever reason, I've been able to have that mental process for a very long time. I do think that consistency that you mentioned is very important for leadership. They have to know who they're going to get that day. Um, uncertainty, this is another Beck's phrase, uncertainty brings stress. And so when you're trying to create a strong environment, a good culture, understanding of who we are coming to bit, coming to work every day, ready to work, you know, let's get it done and not like wondering what, what mood the coach is in today, you know, and, and and you gotta, you have to, you have to live what you're asking them to do. How many coaches are like, Hey, I want you to be calm under pressure. And they're over there screaming at you in a timeout, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) In in the first set. So I I think there's that, that consistency piece I think is very, very important. Um, how I center myself, I, I don't know, Wax, I, I do think I really genuinely think about gratitude a lot. Like I really do have a pretty strong belief in the randomness of, of, of things like, uh, just... I do understand probabilities. I'm very probability oriented. I don't know if it's back in the day when I was growing up and in the Boy Scouts and be prepared. And and now I've got an earthquake kit and I've got a plan for, I mean, I I wrote a pandemic plan uh, about six weeks before the pandemic hit because I could see it coming. I was giving, you would appreciate this because I was a microbiome guy. I've always been focused on this. They've been talking about pandemics since I was an undergrad. We knew it was coming. It was starting to happen in China. And I started to give lectures to the guys about what was happening in China. This is weeks before the pandemic hit because my mind is like, ooh, I can see that. I, I, you know, like what's the probability here? And it, it's not pessimistic. It's just being prepared for, because you know, that small, um, unlikely events have very big outcomes called, they're called fat tail events and so you know that that really drives a lot of things that happen it drives things on the volleyball court it how you spend a lot of time perfect pass offense but how where is winning and losing really occur it's like when things aren't so perfect how prepared are you for that what is our system there like I, that is a real core coaching philosophy for me and i think it it comes from a life philosophy i don't know what direction it went you know like maybe being a volleyball coach and understand that all these years is refine that but to me, it's like, um, understand the probabilities, gratitude, really understand how lucky we are. Uh, I do think, uh, I just, I, I roll, I roll out of the, the driveway every day. It's dark because I'm living in OC. So I got a long drive. I roll out, I look up and I say a prayer for my family. I that? my daughters in the front window. I think about them and my, my wife, and then I roll down the street and then um, I pick up Brandon Talaferro cause I now have a staff in deep Orange County and, um, we probably don't say a word for about 45 minutes cause we're still tired and it's dark. And then maybe we start chatting about volleyball or listen to a podcast and then we come up and then we start doing our thing. I mean, that's my daily routine. I don't know if it centers myself or not. I do like exercise. I think that's really important. I wish I had more time to do more, but in general, I'm probably in pretty decent shape for my peer group. And, uh, I, so that's a part of, I think that's super important.
1: And uh, so those are a few things that just probably keep me even. I love it, man. Yeah. I love it. Hopefully you'll, you'll, be, you guys will be listening to this one day soon. On yeah. That yeah. Show. Yeah. <laughs> um, could you talk about mindfulness training and mm-hmm. for a little context, you know, when, when we were, you know, when I was coming up, that wasn't really a thing. Um, it's only become a thing recently in mindfulness. You know, I mean, what I mean by that is like, you know, like that meditation visualization is a part of that deep breathing breath control is a part of that. Um, but I think specifically to, to relate it to this conversation that we're having, which is awesome, by the way, is a setup, a setup for success, a setup for getting the best out of yourself and the best out of someone next to you. Right. And like visualizing what that looks like and feels like let's talk about eq in there too right Let's like mm-hmm. the, the emotional intelligence of the the desired outcome mm-hmm. so yeah talk about how you relate to that idea yeah. and how you implement that
0: uh yeah this is another story from back in my playing days that i don't know how i got there but i just remember doing it and it impacted my coaching philosophy or process I would get the game plan from skates and I'd go into Poly Pavilion. I'd sit kind of high up and I'd, I'd look down at the game plan and I'd go, okay, rotation one, this is a distribution, this is the tendency. And then I just shut my eyes and I just cool. think about it. Cool, that, that was how I would prepare for matches. So when I started coaching and I became a head coach, I was like, I'll do that. Well, then I started yeah. to research visualization a little bit, and then there's active versus passive. And right. how do, so I started to implement that into what we're doing on a daily basis. It's it's ebbed and flowed a little bit. Sometimes you, it's interesting, over a 20 plus year coaching career, there's some things that you do for a while, you forget about it for whatever reason, time, distraction, you get out of the habit, whatever. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that's really important. And I need to make sure I get back to that visualization is one of those. And, and I think we, uh, we've used it to good effect because I think not only do I talk about the technical aspects of visualization, the execution aspect of visualization, but the emotional response, yeah. the yeah. team dynamics, the thought yeah. processes, the preparation. So, I mean, we did it today in practice and, uh, talked about who we want to be when we compete this weekend. We have a fall tournament this coming weekend. And so, you know, how do we want to handle that where do we want to be emotionally for that? Um, I think you can sprinkle in values, sprinkle in, um, mental processes and and the verbiage that you use from a, a mindset perspective within that. Um, but yeah, I'm i I'm a big fan for sure of of visualization and on the meditation side. I remember, um, we were at Irvine and I, this is a story I've told too. um, uh, I wanted to know more about meditation and somebody mentioned that there was a meditation instructor on campus. And so I called him up and, uh, I said, listen, I want to chat with you about this. There's a lot of conversations. This is 15 years ago. And there's a lot of conversation about meditation and sport. And he said, you don't want to talk to me. I I am not an athlete. I've never played a sport. Uh, I'm totally unathletic and not even in very good shape. And I'm like, well, let's get together and have a coffee. You're on campus. He's a professor on campus. And so we sit down and I said, well, okay, just, just tell me about meditation. What, what do I need to know about it? Like, give me the principles behind it. He goes, okay. And then he starts talking and I'm like, dude, I'm talking to another coach. It's, it's literally the principles are exactly the same to a T with a lot of the same principles we talk about that we talked about here that we talk about with mental performance on the volleyball court or any court. And I'm like, man, this is really interesting. So I, I said, listen, there's there's crossover and domain expertise here. And so can you please come and work with the team? So then he would come and teach the team meditation. And it was super, super fun. I mean, the guys had a great experience. It was totally outside. the Because he, he didn't come at it from a sport perspective. He came at it from a Buddhist perspective. Mm. And so he was like ringing the bells every few minutes, you know? It was great. Uh, it, cool. it was such a cool experience for the guys. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how to teach it because I listened to him and how he taught it. And now I teach it. And then I, I know how to implement the combination, I think, of meditation and visualization is very powerful.
1: Wow, that's so cool. Man, I I really respect that because the, the, I'm a spiritual person and there's a whole spiritual side of, of me that um, I'm really starting to explore more. Yeah. And it 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 makes me happy and joyful to hear that that's that's it's becoming more of a thing and, and less taboo. It used to be so taboo. And now I think there's there's a value of it that people are starting to realize. Right. Just to just even just to get quiet. It's hard. It's actually very difficult to do um, for active people. Right. For entrepreneurs, for athletes, yeah. where people are always like, OK, let's go to the next thing. Like you mentioned, like, OK, I'm always thinking about the next thing. It's it's actually difficult but so rewarding to just stop and be. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a huge part of being an inspired athlete an inspired leader an inspired human being having this experience, like being able to chill and enjoy the present moment, which is the gift, right? You talk about gratitude. The present moment is the the gift, the ultimate gift, right? You know? And I think it's so important because we talk about being process oriented. We talk about like, yes, we're going for winning and we want that outcome. But then there's a moment of just like, here I am, you know? Um, so I, I just think that's really cool. And maybe we could talk about identity for a second, mm. because this goes to the conversation. Identity as an athlete, right? Um, so y- you, you mentioned that you, you your team, you're trying to figure out who you guys are going to be this weekend, right, for your competition, mm-hmm. right? What about on a macro level? like? And what I mean by that is like, you know, we, ha- we all have these labels. You're a coach, Right. We mm-hmm. have athletes as a, as a label. I mentioned entrepreneur, a podcast, like all these labels. What do what do those labels do to us in a good uh, way or a bad way? And yeah. how can we how can we use those labels to our benefit?
0: Right. Great question. I think the label of coach has always been interesting to me because I've recognized. I've recognized how much respect there is for coaching at large talking about a macro identity, right? I think if you're talking about you're out there and people find out that you're a coach, there's there is a level of immediate respect, which is interesting to me. It's just a, it's interesting to me. Like obviously that's cool. <laughs> you know, people respond yeah. positively to what I do. Um so that's it's a it's a discussion topic because people want to know more about that, and, but it it is um I think interesting that they respect coaching as they do. So, so there's real value in that. And so that's I don't know, maybe another podcast. Um, but um, but, uh, yeah, I think um, I, I think there is a lot of identity in in what we do versus who we may perceive we are. I, I think in terms of even as we talk about with my kids, it's so much influence so much reinforcement of kindness, being a good person. And my one daughter is super competitive. Like she really, she wants to know what she got and who everybody else got. And we're constantly trying to reinforce, hey, this is about, we don't need to talk about our grades. We need to talk about how, did you do your best? You know, what is your strengths? Let's, you did a great job. You're working hard. You know, very much reinforcing this identity of who she is based on her real values, not necessarily what someday her profession will be. And I think reinforcing that with our athletes is super important because our identity, now we're getting to the micro identity, right? And that is, we are all so wrapped up in being an athlete. Our egos are built on it. It's how we're known. We may have 100,000 followers because we're an athlete. And then when things don't go very well, the end of your career, a bad match, uh, whatever, a losing season. Then all of a sudden it's not just a losing season. It's an, it's an assault on our identity. And that is so hard. I mean, and I would, I'm sure you've talked about it a lot in your podcast, but the coaching of athletes in a social media environment is a whole new challenge. And I think that's the biggest one is this external expectation for, for results. And what does that really mean for who you are as a person and who we are as a team? Who do we want to show who we are as a team is a topic that we discussed for this weekend. And I think those are the areas where we constantly need to, I think, build a foundation because it's inevitable that you're going to not be perfect there. Mm. So early, early in the season, you want to build a foundation of verbiage, a dialogue. These are, these are the things we're going to talk about. And then everyone goes, yeah, 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 sure. And then it's later in the season when something goes awry and they're like, okay, we've been talking about this since the fall. Here's this is what we need to do from here and then then the athletes will go oh yeah yeah like i think there's a lot of learning my favorite time of the year is playoffs n- nothing n- there's no better course, teaching yeah you know, there's no better teaching environment i think anywhere certainly on campus okay there's there is no better teaching environment at any university in america that's better than the locker room of a playoff run of a sports team period because it is real in there oh yeah. God, it's real. I mean, it is emotion. It's tears. It's it is, it is awesome. I love it, man. As when I ramp up, I am so into it in that locker room during the playoff run. I am locked in. I just, and I'm teaching, and I'm just trying to help our guys understand. And then I think they get they learn a lot in a short period of time.
1: Yeah, I want to stay on this topic of identity though for a second, because, okay? Because because. Again, I want to make this relatable. If someone's mm. listening or watching who's not an athlete, who you know, but they still want are interested in this this idea of identity, right? Because the number one relationship you have all day long for the whole rest of your life is with yourself. Yeah. Right? The number one so it's like okay, who am I? Right? right. And I and it, I don't want to get like too out of esoteric here, but like the idea of identity okay, so so this idea of who am I? I want you to um, take this question and make it relatable to anyone, not just athletes, which is what's the difference between being a performer and being a craftsman and where do they intersect?
0: A performer and a craftsman and where do they intersect? I I think the craftsman is the, the athlete, non-athlete. I really appreciate that. You're trying to make this relevant for everyone. So I'll I'll try to continue to keep that um, mindful here, but I think the craftsman is somebody who's just really trying to be good at what they do. And that can be an athlete or non-athlete, right? What, right. what is the craft? Could be right. a psychologist, could be a teacher, could be a lawyer. What, how do I do that really, really well? Mm-hmm. And, and then there's the performance, say it's a lawyer. Okay. So they go to law school, they study, they want to be great. Excuse me. They're, they're dedicated. They, they really love serving their clients, they want to make sure that they're represented at the very highest level. Yeah. They want to put in extra time to make sure that they cover all their bases. They're just really locked in. And then then there's the courtroom. Okay. And then you got to go in the courtroom and you've got to execute, or the boardroom, or the classroom, or name your performance, right? This is where you build your skill as the craftsman. And then the performance is you, you go and you execute. Yeah. Now We've talked a lot about process orientation, but there's also product orientation. Uh, I, I remember thinking a lot about this during my UCLA years, because you and I have had the wooden philosophy that courses through the veins of UCLA. And then you have skates, who is very much different than wooden. And wooden talks about this too. Like there's different ways to skin a cat. Now, skates was a hardcore winner. Dude was a winner. And we would get in, and I, I've told this story a lot too, Wex, but you would appreciate this we would get in, he'd bring us around, and we, he'd say, um, gentlemen, our goal is to win a national championship this year. Anything else is unacceptable. I, I just vividly remember that. And now, that was the extent of our team meetings that year. We didn't have team meetings about mindset. Right. We didn't have team meetings about team culture. We didn't have team meetings about – there's no visualization. There's, not, there's one team meeting a year, and it lasted 30 seconds. And I liked it. I still like it. I want to win. I'm here to go do that. And so I have felt over the years, particularly early on, I'd say the first five years of my coaching career, quite torn up about this because I really respected wooden. I see the value. I think it's right. I love skates. It's who I am. I think it's right. Melding that has took a little while, and took a little study. And I read a book at some point within the first five years that I was in Irvine that talked about process and product goals. And I think those, I think it, I just was like, the heavens spoke to me, you know, like, <laughs> ah, yes, this is, this is where I'm at. And cool. so I think we all can understand that there's the craftsman and the performer, the The craftsman is the process. The, what do you got to do today to be better than you were yesterday? And then there's the performer where you have to go out and you got to execute And and listen, you're not always going to execute. And instead of beating yourself up, you go, okay, why didn't that work? That's why people love sports. Why do businessmen yeah. love sports? They love it because it's a compressed competitive environment. We put a team together. We try to develop team culture. We make some mistakes. We go out on the court. We win or we lose. It's on the front page of the newspaper. And yeah. then we then we dissect it. We try to learn everything we can from it and then repeat and, and so you do this over and over and over again, and people want to know, like what are you learning from that environment? And that's what makes what you and I do so fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, wow. well, said, I love I love everything you just said. Um, just a few more things here, coach, and yeah coming up on time. how does uh, how does creativity play a role in this conversation?
0: I think a, a lot. I think it's um, I think there's also speaking of like another uh, maybe core belief. I was talking about probabilities and how that influences the way I think. I also for whatever reason have always been interested in a lot of a uh, variety of tof- topics. So there's there's obviously a huge I think just in general the the body of knowledge that we've gained as humans over the last especially last 20 30 years has really focus so much on specificity. Like there's such a body of knowledge in every particular area that in order to become an expert in one area, it's all, it's impossible not to get siloed. It's impossible not to get siloed. And so we have to continuously challenge ourselves to be generalists. And so what does that mean? How do you learn? What do you read? And I, I read a variety of different things every day. Like I, I personally love getting a couple of newsletters that are really broad based. And I try to read those every day, just a little dabble, and something will interest me. I don't read all the article on time. To read all the articles every single day, but there's something from business, something from psych, something from sports, something from economics. I mean, I just really I like knowing a lot of different things, and then we just just have to be curious about how we apply the generalist philosophy about what we do. And I think um, the other thing we haven't talked a lot about, which I think is super important. Um, and I, I'm reflecting upon this value quite a bit recently is just humility. Like, I think if you, yes. I think it's a, I think it's a core I'm becoming, yes. there's such a, it's hard. Cause I think in today's environment, like there's such an emphasis on confidence and strength right. and projection of strength. And you see it in our pol- politics and you see it. And so even on our sport, it's like the, the cockiness comes through and this is how you win and, I just, I know there's fault there, you know, but how do you sell humility? I, I think it's a real tough sell <laughs> because it comes off soft. And nobody wants to say you're soft. I think in order to be wow. long-term successful, you have to challenge yourself to be humble because inevitably, the longer you do something, the more siloed you get, the more of an expert you become, the more, the, the stronger the beliefs you have about the way you do things. And I think that I've learned that I've made enough mistakes with a real, like, I believe that this is right. This is right. This is right. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, not right. Not right. right. And so I've done that enough. I really like the phrase, um, uh, what what is it? It's um, strong opinions loosely held. Okay. Strong opinions loosely held. Okay. That's because I do believe in some things. But you have to be humble enough and aware enough to like have that belief and then still allow other opinions, listen to other perspectives, um, some that are very divergent from your own, and then learn from that. Okay, what yeah. what is this? How, how can I be curious? And and to really believe, okay, I don't have all the answers. If you fundamentally believe, hey, I don't have all the answers, and I think everybody expects in our in our world today that. Our leaders are going to have all the answers. I'd feel a heck of a lot better if somebody stood up in our political world and said, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to tell you how I'm going to tackle it when something comes up that I don't know. Right. And this is my process, I would vote for that guy. Right. And so for me, it's like, okay, how can I continuously be humble? I as I've coached now 20 plus years as a head coach. I'm going to have some strong beliefs. How do I continuously like take a breath, listen, really absorb? And to me, that is that is the the genesis of the creative process. Like, how can you be humble mm. enough to like continuously look at things in different perspectives and take things from different people and implement it in in your own way? Because they say creativity really isn't coming up with something new; it's just new combinations of things that have been done before. And I think
1: that's right. That's dead on. Yeah. Yes. Dude, wow! I'm so I'm so glad that you brought up humility and you tied that into creativity. That's. that's... Mm very eloquently said and I agree with you and I, I think anyone listening to this like yeah encourage creativity amongst oh, yourselves yeah. amongst your family amongst your team amongst your friends like that's what we're here to do you know And freedom freedom
0: be- from mistakes like creativity is by its very nature like taking a chance to do something that hasn't been done right yes. and so you have to have some like I think it's really hard when and I've had some of my assistant coaches that go on to get big time jobs and I Good luck. It's it's hard. Yeah. It's a yeah. hard slog because you go to a place like UCLA and it's it's hard to take risk. There's so much yeah. external opinions. There's alumni yeah. that want you to win. If you don't have like a real strong sense of what you're doing and why you're doing it, it's hard to be in that environment. And I think one of the best gifts I've ever, I stumbled into it speaking around, random, but I went to UC Irvine and they yeah. were bad. And so I could do whatever I wanted. Like what was gonna happen? We're gonna lose. They've been losing forever. So, I was able to take some chances, be a young coach, make a lot of mistakes, not worry about what everybody else thought. Yeah, uh, there's no social media, nobody making comments online. Like, I just went and took a ton of risks, man. Yeah, and I just this is an observation because that that's that allowed me to develop my own my own micro identity about who I was as a coach, and then build that up, have some success. So when I come to UCLA. I can take those same chances and I don't care what anybody else says because I've already built up that sense of who I am. Like, I don't, people ask me about after we won last year, like, was that a sense of relief and all that stuff? Maybe because I really wanted to win. I wanted to bring it back to my alma mater. I felt like we were getting close and we were. And so, but I never, I I really didn't care what all the negative, if there was negativity, I'd really, I don't tune into that. I really don't. A, couple, a number of people have said, gosh, it's got to be great. Just, you know, all, all the things have been said. And I was like, oh, I don't know what has been said, but I was just doing, listen, we won last year, Wex, and we're doing the same thing we did last 10 years. Are we getting better every year? Yes. I'm on a constant process to evaluate. Are we getting better? Am I getting better? How do we get better? How do we get better? How do we get better? What's different? T- making changes, you know, adaptation is so important for athletes and it's so important for coaches. How, how do we constantly challenge ourselves to get better? It's been the same thing, man. Yeah. And some years we didn't win. Some years we came close. Ball bounced one way or the other. Injuries here or there. And, and then we win and everyone's like, oh, yeah, great. And it's like, well, yeah. I've been doing this. I'm just me. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm just yeah. me. But I, I think creativity requires a, a level of freedom. Yeah, You got to have some freedom. And and that freedom can be external. You got to create some environments where you have some freedom to take some risk. Um, uh, but it is mostly it's internal and your perspective on on what you think everybody thinks about you and and not carrying one iota build your right. team build your right. team what does your team think um and if if your team is telling you you're off path then you got to look at that but if somebody online is telling you just don't worry about it
1: dude and that leads right into my next thing which is flow and you've hmm. for as long as i've known you and just watched you over the years and been a fan right i'm a fan uh, i've just sensed that you've always I don't know if this is true, but you, I've sensed that you've just been in the flow for so Mm -hmm. long with what you just said, like, you're just doing you, you're doing you, you're doing, you're doing what you're called to do. Mm -hmm. You kind of, I feel like you got your sense of mission, you know? And, and so the question is the idea of flow, is that, is that something you can practice or does it just come to you?
0: You probably can practice it. You can probably increase the probabilities that it happens more frequently. I think that is absolutely true.
1: Cool. I
0: think if we, if you execute on a lot of things that we've been talking about here, whether it's worrying about expectations, right? Because you got to be locked in on you. You're never going to be in a flow state when you're worried about somebody else. Um, the meditation component, because meditation is is focus training, right? And And meditation is about when you get a distraction, internal or external. How quickly can you recognize it and bring it back to the present moment? That is meditation, and so really, flow state is being in this state of total encompassed focus here and now. And there is a component, I think, of flow of like almost detached emotionality, right? I mean, there's 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 a detachment there. It's just like well, I, when you're locked in, you're just like, like, right? and I wax, well, I can get there pretty good. I mean, I, my guess is my guess is I get there at a higher rate than most and I can get there as a coach and I know I can get there as a coach and I knew I got there as an athlete. And so does that happen for me more than others? I would bet it does. I I do think I have a natural predisposition to being steady. I have had a life of experience that's allowed me to have confidence in the way I do things. So I don't really worry about other people's expectations. Um, so yeah, I think there's probably some things there that allow me to do it more. And I do think it's trainable.
1: Yeah, yeah. dude. I love yeah. to hear that, especially from champions, because a lot of champions are like, nah, it just comes. And when it's, when it comes, it's great. But I love to hear that you think that you can practice it through all the things that we've been talking about, specifically meditation and mindfulness training yeah. and just like, you know, finding little moments even throughout the day. That's you right. Know, finding a moment, find doing the dishes. Can I be in fully enthralled in this moment right now? It's like mm-hmm. this little small practice, you know? Well, and I
0: think you just mentioned it right there, too, because it is a practice. Like, I think about yeah. it when I'm with my daughters. Yeah. I'd be totally present. Where's my yeah. phone? Get it out. You know, like, right. um, I do think about that. I, I do think about getting outside and looking at the sunshine and and having some appreciation for being here UCLA on a beautiful day when everybody else is freezing and we got the Santa Ana's coming in and it's just amazing. (laughs) You know, like I, I have a wax. I've got a lot of those thoughts that cross through my day. And so I think that that's, that's true. I also think that part of being a good coach and being a good athlete is to understand when the day isn't when, when you're not, what, what does that day look like? And I really appreciate that thought process. Again, getting maybe to probabilities, right? It's how do you win when things aren't going very well? I, I really think that's when we're talking about. The top of the pyramid and get competitive greatness. I think that's what, for me, that's what we're talking about. I think we're talking about when the day isn't good and what you do when the day isn't good. How do you step up to that?
1: Mm. Man, coach, I could talk to you for a long time, but this is my last question for today. Maybe we'll we'll do another. Part. Yeah, we can reconvene. Yeah part two sometime. But the last question I have today is uh, fulfillment. What does fulfillment mean to you?
0: Uh, Knowing you're making a difference that you matter, you know, that what you're doing is making a difference in people.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hell yeah.
0: Yeah. I got a text today. Uh, from J.R. Norris's family out of the blue. You know, his dad just sent me a text about what a difference I've made in his family's life. Oh, so I know that what I'm doing is making a difference, you know?
1: Yeah. It's I making do.
0: a it's making an impact. And I, I think if you're thinking about fulfillment, it's about finding some way to make somebody else's life a little bit better, yeah. the world a little bit better. Um, so to me, that's fulfillment. Yeah, man. Way to just drop a bomb right at the end there for me, Wes. I, know, I mean, man. here we are, made it all the way through. You even talked about spirituality.
1: <laughs> I know, and, uh, and that's why I wanted you on, man, because you're doing it, man. You know, and and my hope is that we're doing it together right now, right here with yeah. this podcast. And hopefully someone is listening or sees this and, and, and feels the feels too, you know, like yeah. that's, yeah. we're trying to create a ripple effect here, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And everybody has that capacity, Wex. I think it's just like we were talking about with the mental side of the game. Some people just are judgmental about, okay, yeah. this guy can't do it. He's not a winner. That's such BS. And it, so I think there's a lot of internal and external dialogue about whether or not somebody can make a difference. I, I think uh, we we haven't talked about this at all, but I, yeah. I am immersed in, a, in an environment where we're teaching young men. Right. And how, I think men are struggling a little bit. I've been listening and reading a lot about this too for a while. This is a constant theme over 15 years, what I want for the men that I I coach. What do I feel that they need to have after they leave an experience with me and and now it's really becoming a, a real hot topic, and so I'm I'm getting back to that theme as well, talking about things that kind of come and 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 maybe they disappear for a little while, but when they come back again, you're like, okay, this is a a core, this is a core theme that we need to really address. And I think for men, boys that are coming up, I think there is this sense of agency. Can I? What can I do that that is good that that can make a difference. I think we need to search for what those things are. And that has to have some level of intention. And certainly our environment gives us direction. But I think, you know, what, what can we do to really help young men find a way that they can make a difference? And if if we can help them do that, I think we'd be in a much better place. I know my guys would be in a much better place leaving. Um, I think that requires some, some help along the way, mentorship and guidance. talking about these topics and i think we need to to allow people tell people hey this is this is what we need to be doing and here's how you can be happy here's how you can make a difference here's how you can have fulfillment um and i think if more people understood that that's, that you can do that you you have the capacity that every single person that's listening to this podcast and watching us on youtube has the capacity for fulfillment because they have the capacity to make a difference And it's just about finding out what that is. And sometimes it takes a little bit of effort and a little bit of support, and we have to support one another to do that.
1: A hundred percent. And, you know, I just want to take a moment to send my appreciation to UCLA and to Coach Skates, who gave me my first coaching job. And really what that did for me is it gave me a sense of service to be of service with the sport that I love, with athletics, with my journey of the inspired athlete, trying to figure out what that was for me he said, here, you want to go coach, coach some kids, take a yeah. summer job, yeah. you know, and, and, and learn how to be a coach. Right. And I think that that was so empowering. And so yeah. what I would say is like, for a young man, even if you, they don't want to be coaches, learn how to coach, learn how to lead, yeah. you know, take someone down a path of a skill. It doesn't even have to be volleyball; It could be anything, yeah. but that service, you know, that, that input, impl- that put a seed you, you know this idea of first seed. that it put a seed in me of fulfillment of like when i take someone down this path and take them from a to b to c you know we don't even have to get to z right just to get to b or c from yeah. a and i was a part of that that made me feel fulfilled for that moment and it created that sense of what you're talking about with young men and and i just i appreciate that and i would suggest leaders of organizations facilitate some sort of leadership training like that
0: yeah i agree i agree give them some opportunities you know you yeah. got skates gave you an opportunity yes and we we just have to find ways to give people opportunities and then and yes. run with
1: it yeah yeah john man this this has been amazing um before we sign off can you just tell people how to best support you or follow along with oh, the yeah. olympic journey or you know right social media stuff or any of that yeah
0: uh, i have been on social media for about a year and a half now I had a Twitter account that I don't use very much, but the Instagram thing has been uh, really interesting for me to learn about the opportunities there. There's We've talked a, a little bit about some of the risk involved, but there is an opportunity. And certainly some of the things I've been working on, I'm sharing there. Um, even yesterday, we added a Division One HBCU University because of my work with First Point Volleyball Foundation. So, I mean, there's ways that we can spread the word about what we're doing with the sport and how we're making a difference. So um, there's my Instagram account. And then there's, a, I I did start a website this year because I'm trying to get out and coach, work with kids a little bit more. So Love I'm doing it. some camps and some coaching clinics and some other things, just trying to have some more of these conversations because I, I really do enjoy them. And I appreciate your time, Wex.
1: I appreciate you so much. And uh, don't go anywhere. For everyone listening and watching, appreciate you guys and uh, stay inspired, everybody. Peace and blessings.